0: We are looking today at an important topic, and that is why we support Israel. And there's been a lot of of discussion and opinions over the last many weeks as Israel has been brought into a war that they did not want. Uh, Seeing the brutal and heinous attacks of Hamas that happened on October 7th, just a little over a month ago. And initially, we saw a lot of people show that, you know, outward support, Sympathy and empathy for Israel and what they went through as we saw firsthand and in real time, the images and the the brutality that was happening there. But it's been amazing and sad to see how that support has begun to wane very quickly as Israel launched their retaliation and voiced their objective to neutralize and nullify Hamas. And over this last month, we've seen the growing support for Palestine, and with it, a heavy and growing animosity toward Israel. And just some of the rallies that we've seen, uh, this is in London here, uh, a support for Palestine. Uh, We see that in in London. We've seen it in Montreal. Uh, Over there, we've seen it in Baghdad here. And yesterday, again, London had another march for Palestine rally with just crowds filling the streets in mass. That is just unbelievable to see. And so with that, we've unfortunately seen that rise of anti-Semitism that we've uh, seen begin to really resemble the days of the Holocaust, Ali, People around the world are now making their disdain for The Jews very public. They're going out of their way to target Jewish people and make their views very known. Just hearing people on the street saying, you know, death to the Jews, kill the Jews, like seeing the rhetoric that's being shared with such hate. Now, I want to make a couple things clear here today right off the top. When I say I support Israel, I do not do so from a political standpoint. I'm not saying that they are a godly nation and and everything that they do is just, let's be clear on that. When I say I support Israel, I do so from a biblical position and understand that this is a nation that God has chosen for very specific purposes. And if this is a nation that God has chosen and a nation he's not done with, then I wanna get behind what God is doing, you see? That's why I support Israel. And I hope to make it clear today from God's word, why I hold this view. Another thing I wanna make very clear is we do not support Israel at the expense of other people. In saying I support Israel does not mean I'm against Palestinian people. Listen, there are many Palestinian people that live in peace with Israel and are unfortunately caught in the crosshairs of this war. We have Palestinian people that attend this church and we don't look at them as an enemy by any means. It's an unfortunate situation that is taking place. But when we support Israel, we do not say go in there and nuke them, bomb them, take everybody out. No, we are grieved over the loss of innocent lives on, on every side. So please don't think that we're up here taking up arms, ready to go march on the front lines and just kill anybody that's in the way of Israel. That's not what we're saying. See, the problem is, an ideology that many carry that says, Israel has no right to the land or that Israel is the problem in the Middle East. You see, it's, a, it's an ideology that wants nothing more than for the complete annihilation of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. That's what's really at stake here, my friends. When you hear the chants in some of these rallies for Palestine, the chants from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. They're talking about the Jordan River to the Mediterranean. And what they're really saying is we want Israel wiped out, tossed into the sea. We want Israel not just removed and relocated, we want Israel gone. Exterminate! That's what is being meant by from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. You see, what's going on in Israel in the Middle East has nothing to do with borders or Palestine or Hamas. Essentially, it's a deep-rooted hatred toward the Jewish people that's as old as time. And we need to go back to the beginning to see the genesis of this hatred. Because right after Satan had deceived Eve, and then Eve and her husband sinned in the garden... God pronounced the curses upon them. And here's what God said to Satan there in the Garden of Eden as a curse. He said, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly, you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, there's been a deep seated satanic hatred and attempt to destroy that seed of this woman. There was an attempt to destroy and corrupt that seed right there in Genesis six, when the sons of God went into the daughters of men. It became so bad that God chose to completely wipe out the whole world and start over with Noah. He started with Noah, which eventually led us to Abraham. And it's with Abraham that God chose to make a nation a nation that would now preserve that promised seed that was given to Eve that Satan is worried about because that seed is going to crush his head. So he wants to take out that seed or anything to do with that seed. And so God promised that nation that was going to preserve that promised seed that was essentially the deliverer and savior to the world. And God made a covenant with Abraham, and it's introduced for us right there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, saying this. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So here's the covenant that's being made with Abraham. And essentially, you'll see this promise, this covenant is about, let's see here. I'll bless those who bless you. You shall be a blessing. I'll put that there. Here's what it is. This promise is all tied to a place, a people, and a promise. All right? Hope you see that there. The land is the place, a great nation is the people, and you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those blessing, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the promise here, okay? Speaking of the, the Messiah. So here's essentially the covenant that God makes with Abraham broken down here. And this covenant is first mentioned here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 19. Uh, one and three, but it's clarified even more so for us and expanded upon in subsequent chapters that we see in the book of Genesis. You see the passages right there, chapter 13, chapter 15, 17, and chapter 22. And it's in Genesis 15 that we really get the nature of this covenant. Because in chapter 15, God tells Abraham, all right, Abraham, and Abraham's worried. How's this ever gonna happen? I don't have any, is Eliezer, my my servant, gonna be the promise? I'm getting old, I'm not having any children. How how am I gonna have this promise he come for me when Sarah and I do not have any children and it seems like we're never going to? So God makes that promise again to Abraham. And he tells Abraham, I want you to take the, the the sacrifices, these animals that are gonna be given as a sacrifice, I want you to cut them in two and I want you to lay them down beside each other, these cut sacrifices. And that was the way in that day that people would make a covenant. They would take these sacrifices, cut them in two, and the two parties that were coming into this covenant agreement, they would walk through these sacrifices hand in hand and they would recite kind of the, the vows of this covenant. And it was essentially like saying, If I break any of these vows, let it be so to me as is happened to the sacrifices. Let me be cut in two, in a sense. It was a binding, very legal promise that was being made. But what happened is God tells Abraham, go ahead, cut those two. And and, and Abraham's waiting now. Okay, God, when are we going to? And then Abraham gets put into deep sleep. And he has this vision of the Lord. But when he wakes up, these sacrifices are all burnt up. In other words, God walked through that himself apart from Abraham because God was the one that was going to uphold this covenant and agreement with Abraham. It was going to be an unconditional agreement not dependent upon Abraham's work or Abraham's faithfulness or the faithfulness of Israel. It was completely God made God-given and God was gonna be the one that was gonna uphold this covenant. So Genesis 15 Verse 18 and 21 says, "On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites and the Jebusites." Now, understand this here, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. This is the borders described here in Genesis 15 that God was giving. That's also repeated for us in Joshua chapter one. The borders of the land of Israel that God was giving to them encompass that black line right there. That's pretty huge. Do you you see where Israel is? There's Israel right there today as we know it. They've taken up just a small portion of the land that God was actually giving to them. And notice that this is the land that God says, I have given to you. Not, I will give it to you, if you, no, no, no. This is the land I have given to you. In chapter 15 of Genesis, it's referred to as the inheritance. In other words, God has it, he owns it, it's his land, and he is now giving it to the people that he has chosen. That he's chosen to be the nation that is going to be the nation of the promised Messiah, the the seed of the woman is going to come from. And that's where there's this deep-seated hatred to stop anything that God is doing by the enemy, by Satan. But understand this is God's land and he chooses in his sovereignty who's going to live there. And he's given it to Abraham and his descendants, it says. And please catch this. Again, it's, it's an unconditional eternal covenant. Yeah, Israel has walked in disobedience. Yeah, they've been taken out of their land on more than one occasion, but Israel has never forfeited their rights or inheritance because God is the one that's upholding this covenant. And do you realize that God is a covenant keeping God? Aren't you glad for that? Though Israel has been unfaithful, God will always be faithful and that should be a great comfort to you and to me because we think sometimes salvation is dependent upon how well I do on my part. How will I keep up my end of the bargain? And we think salvation becomes dependent upon how I do, but yet that's never the way that God has worked. If Israel was cast aside and God didn't keep his promises to Israel, then then what hope do we have? But that's not the case. And we thank the Lord for that. Israel is a testament that God is faithful as he will be with you and I. Now, some may claim that the land is given to Abraham and his descendants. We read that in Genesis 15. It's clear, it's biblical. He's given the land to Abraham and his descendants. And then people will say, but Abraham had many descendants. He had another son, Ishmael. Ah. But you see, we're dealing with the line of the promised seed that's first brought up in Genesis chapter three. And that is through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why it's always the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and oh yeah, Ishmael. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, in Genesis 22, when Abraham is told to go sacrifice Isaac, he's told this now take your son, your only son, Isaac. Guess what? Ishmael is already a teenager at this point. In fact, no, Isaac was already. <laughs> Well past his teen years at this point. Not a a young lad. A young lad could mean, as King James says, could mean a person up to their 30s. Isaac was quite old. Ishmael's even older. But God says, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Do you see the language there? Is that the same way that God speaks of his son? For God saw the world, he gave his one and only son. And so... We see a great picture there in Genesis 22, which we're not going to get into. But we did a chapel on Thursday. So if you came to chapel, you would hear all about Genesis 22 and the great truths that we find there that we're teaching our young kids. It's awesome. Okay. So Ishmael, you see, became the father of the Arab nations. And in Genesis 16, verse 12, we're told that that Ishmael will live among his brothers with great Violence, he'll be a wild man among them. There's, there would be great contention and there is and continues to be great contention there. It's been the reality of Israel's history. And throughout Israel or throughout history, Israel has had a real target on their back. People will say, listen, you just need to look at the, the fuller picture of what Israel has done. You need to really look at things in context to see that what's happened has been warranted against Israel. There's people that will say that. But again, I want you to recognize today that this goes beyond borders, land, and political posturing. This has been a concerted, spiritual, satanically driven effort to wipe out the Jews. Nothing more, nothing less. And Israel has continually faced numerous enemies who have have tried to take them out. They've been put up against, or they've, they've been up against numerous plots of annihilation in their history going back to the days of Pharaoh, and then Herod, Hitler, Hamas. The list is large, my friends. And the Bible says it's going to continue this way right up until the time that Jesus comes back and brings an end to it all. You know, the whole battle of Armageddon that you read in Revelation is about the nations coming against God's people, Israel. See, when you think about it, as we saw on that map, how can one little nation so small, the size of New Jersey, not even the size of Vancouver Island. How can one little land mass have such a a target on the back and have the world's focus coming down against them apart from this being simply a spiritual war? It makes no sense. When you think about all the land that there is in in the surrounding Arab nations around Israel, all the land that there is to freely have, and yet everybody's worried about Israel, it's a spiritual battle. And we see the revelation, in, in Revelation, the hostility and hatred by Satan in that day towards his people. Look at what we read in Revelation 12. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she is a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And then jumping down to verse 13. Now the dragon, this is Satan. When the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And a lot of people say, oh, this is speaking of Mary. It's a wonderful picture of Mary giving birth to Jesus. No, it's not Mary. This is this woman is the nation of Israel, who again gave birth to the promised Messiah. The Messiah would come through the nation of Israel, just as was told in Genesis chapter three, just as God raised up a nation to preserve and protect that seed to bring the Messiah into the world. The woman is Israel. And the dragon, Satan, is going intensely against Israel. But notice verse 14. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the last time and time, let me say it again, time, times and half a time, that's speaking of three and a half years. You'll see that reference oftentimes. You'll see the reference at three and a half years by the amount of days mentioned in Revelation because it's that last three and a half years of the tribulation period where Satan now begins through the Antichrist to reveal his true colors. The peace covenant was made at the beginning, but now midway through, the Antichrist is gonna go in the temple and seek to be worshiped as God. And Israel's gonna recognize this is not the Messiah. And Satan is gonna turn up the persecution against Israel in that time. And we're gonna not finish reading all that. You get the idea here. And the idea is this, Satan is at the root of anti-Semitism and the hatred of the Jews today. His desire all along has been to thwart God's plans and his promises from coming to fulfillment. Listen, you may not like everything that Israel does, I don't like everything Canada does, (laughs) but I stand in support of my nation and I pray for them and we should be doing the same for Israel. So I'm greatly running out of time already here, but we're gonna look at 77 reasons why we support Israel. So let's get into it. (laughs) First of all, Israel is God's chosen people, all right? They're the only nation in history that God has sovereignly created. Isn't that amazing? And Israel belongs to God. In fact, Israel is referred to as the wife of God. No other nation can say that. That's pretty amazing. The church, however, is the bride of Christ. We're betrothed to Christ. In fact, we're going to be celebrating our wedding with the Lord when we see Him face to face in heaven, the time of the rapture. But right now, we're betrothed as the bride of Christ. But Israel was referred to as the wife of God. And because she's the wife of God, she's also referred to as the apple of God's eye. Zechariah 2.8, for thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory of the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. That's the way any husband should respond <laughs> if somebody ever threatened their wife. Oh no, no, this is getting personal real quick here. And there's, there's gonna be trouble for that. Israel is the apple of God's eye. Jeremiah 30, verse 11 says, for I'm with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I've scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you, but I'll correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. God is not gonna give up on this nation. There's chosen people. And not only are they His chosen people, but Israel is loved by God. Yeah, that kind of goes right along with the previous point. But anything that the Lord loves is something that I want to love and support. Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, 8. Says this The Lord God did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Jeremiah 31, verse two to four, thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I loved you. Notice this with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. Again, I'll build you and you shall be rebuilt. O virgin of Israel, you shall again be adorned with your tambourines and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. You may ask, how can God love such a a sinful and rebellious nation? And they are in large part, they're a secular nation. How can God love a nation like this? Well, in the same way he loved a rebel like me. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God has an everlasting love for his people. Thirdly, our roots are Jewish. Listen, God gave a huge responsibility to Israel. They were to keep the laws of God. They were to preserve the word of God so that there would be a, a pure nation that would be unaffected from the pagan practices of neighboring nations. That's why God put such strict laws upon Israel was to preserve them so as to preserve the truth, the word of God and the Messiah that would come through them. They were meticulous in these things for the most part. But here's the deal. We've been given a great spiritual inheritance and heritage, which we owe to the Jews. Romans eleven eighteen says, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. I love that. We think we're coming alongside Israel. Oh, if it wasn't for us Christians, Israel. Boy, no, it's like, man, if it wasn't for Israel, where would we be? And that verse is in reference to the wild branches that were grafted into the natural olive tree, speaking of Israel and the wild branches, speaking of Gentiles, you and I, who's been grafted into the heritage that Israel has given us. We have much to be thankful for. And if our roots are Jewish, then guess what? Our Savior is Jewish. Jesus was born a Jew. He came for the lost sheep of Israel. Matthew 15, 24 tells us that. Now we know that his mission was always to extend beyond just Israel and was to reach the whole world, yes. But his focus was to the Jew when he came. And there's coming a day when Jesus will restore her. And they will receive him, Zechariah twelve ten. 10. I'll pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Jesus, he's the line of the tribe of Judah. That's in his post-resurrection identity, Revelation 5.5. 5. In fact, some of the last words spoken of or recorded by Jesus in the Bible are in Revelation 22, verse 16, saying, I am the root and the offspring of David. Jesus identifies himself with a Jewish king. I'm the offspring of a Jewish king. We're reminded that he's a descendant of David. So by serving the Jewish people, guess what? We're serving the earthly family of Jesus. That's something that he takes notice of. We even see that in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, where in the end times, there's going to be a judgment and it's gonna revolve around greatly how people treated Israel. The king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Number five, we are to comfort God's people. Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2. Comfort, yes. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquities is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So we're to comfort. It's a call for Gentile nations, Israel can't comfort themselves in this time. It's the Gentile nations that come alongside in times of difficulty and be a comforter. And that's what we desire to do in this time, to come alongside and support, not to say, hey, you guys are perfect, you do everything right. No, it's to say, and we're praying for you, we're standing beside you. And and ultimately, when are they gonna be comforted? When they turn to Jesus. And that's our prayer, is that through these things, because they are greatly under the chastening hand of the Lord right now. And we wanna pray that they come to know Yeshua Mashiach as their savior. Number six, Israel's restoration is a source of blessing. Romans eleven fifteen says, for if they're being cast castaways to reconcile in the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Romans eleven twelve. now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. There's a great benefit to Israel coming into restoration just as it was in their falling away that was a a benefit to the to us because we receive the gospel it's an age of grace that we're living right now church age where it's going out to all but now worse to play a special role in provoking the jews to jealousy i'm going to talk about that this weekend at the conference which i hope you will be able to attend or watch online there's going to be a lot more info to share there number seven lastly God's gifts and call are irrevocable. See, God has called Israel as a nation for a specific purpose. He has and will continue to work through this nation. God does not go back on his word. Genesis 17:8. Also, I'll give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I'll be their God. That land has been hotly contested over the centuries, but it has never been A Palestinian state. The land of Israel has never operated as an independent state outside of Israel. We did a a short uh, history of the Israel and Middle East conflict uh, a few Wednesdays ago. You can listen to that on our YouTube page just to kind of get a brief synopsis of the history of what's led us to where we are at now. But it's never been a, a, a sovereign state other than the state of Israel. And by incredible providence of God, Israel has come back in the land. Just as the Bible has said, listen, one of the greatest proofs to the truth and divine inspiration of scripture is to look to Israel and see what's happened with the nation of Israel. Romans 11, verse 29 and 31 says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so, these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. Listen, we do not believe in replacement theology here, the view that the church has replaced Israel, that all the promises that were given to Israel were forfeited because their disobedience is now passed on to the church. We do not believe that. We believe that God is working through the church and that Israel's been set aside, but there's coming time when God is going to restore Israel. He's gonna, again, begin to work very exclusively through the nation of Israel. Once again, they're not replaced, they're not done with. And we need to remember that. And we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And so, like I said, there's gonna be lots more shared this weekend. This is a bit of a primer, a bit of a help, I, I pray, uh, for all of us here just to understand what we mean when we say we support Israel and why we support Israel. May we continue to pray for them. Uh, Stuart, are you coming to give the wrap-up? All right, let's pray. And then you can wrap us up. Thank you, Lord, for this time together today. And... Lord, help there to be clarity for all of us in this, and we pray for an end to this war and the conflict that's been going on. God, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for the protection of Israel, and for all the people in that area that lives would be spared and protected. Lord, we pray that you would come back, because when you come, Lord, that's when we see peace truly reign from this world, and so we long for that day, and we pray just for your will to continue to unfold in these times as we look to you. We pray in your name. Amen.